everyone to another episode of Life Chat with Ziff and Zell. We're so excited to have everyone here. This is the first time I think, Vilma, that we had so many people on the panel, but this is a great topic we're going to talk about today. And we're so excited that we have all met, especially. Okay. Are they um, for sale? I'm sorry? Are they for sale? <laughs> anyway we still appreciate you guys joining us today and you know of course we're talking about the topic about the verdict in regards to the chauvin trial and i just wanted to hear you guys um opinion on it but first i want you guys to introduce yourself to our audience some of you guys are veterans of this show but we have a lot of new faces today so Welcome everyone and introduce yourselves to our audience and then we'll jump right in. We want to start with Marcus. Let's start with you. You're new. Well, sure. Welcome. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me. Uh, is, uh, I would like to say uh, hello to the audience as well. My name is Marcus Stevens. Um, I'm from Washington, D.C. Currently reside in Newcastle, Delaware. And I'm the owner of uh, the Lash Lounge in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Okay. Next, you all don't go at the same time. Let's go. <laughs> I <laughs> thought you were picking out people. We'll, we'll go across to, to Ron Davis. Okay, Ron Davis. Um, I am native Jamaican, uh, but I've lived here um, in Delaware. I moved here from New York about 31 years ago. So, um, I guess I, that would make me a Delawarean, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's been my hometown for the last 31 years. Um, and uh, I am so excited to be here. Um, not particularly excited about the topic, but um, happy to be here. Thank you, Mr. Lewis. Good evening, everybody. I'm Lewis Feverin, uh, originally from New Jersey, uh, Delaware native at this point, I guess. Uh, I am vice president of Legacy Wealth Management, and I am also owner of the Lewis Feverin Insurance Agency. Uh, honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And I go up to Mr. Butch. Uh, good evening to everybody here on, the, on, on this uh, podcast and also those in the listening audience. I'm definitely excited about another opportunity to, to share and be a part of this. Always a wonderful experience, and I know that there's a lot to talk about, so I'm excited for us to have an opportunity as men and women who are hosting the show. We definitely appreciate that as well, uh, to have that conversation and, and, and really just dig deep. So I appreciate it. And I am the principal, oh, sorry. For those out there, I am my principal of a high school, Glasgow High School in uh, Newark, Delaware. I've been in education now 21 years. Uh, really excited about youth and working with the youth. Thank you very much. And what goes up must come down. So I went up, now I'm coming down to you, Mr. Wells. Good evening, everyone, and first and foremost, thank you for the opportunity to be before you. Um, looking really, really looking forward to this conversation with your with your listeners. Pleasure to be here. Thank you uh, to the panelists, also Mr. Ingram, for for also extending the invite. Again, my name is Destrian Wells. I'm originally from Selma, Alabama. I have been residing here in Delaware for approximately 15 years now. Uh, so again, just like the gentleman said, I guess I am now a Delawarean. I am the Vice President of Relationship Management at Macquarie Investment Management. I also own a consulting firm, Destrian Wells Consulting. 
and I'm a part of one of the uh, few Black-owned trading groups um, here in the tri-state. And so this is a conversation that's important not only to us, but for our community at large, I think. And so very happy to engage with you all. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, and welcome. We yeah. have wealth of knowledge here. Yes, we do. Now, let's jump right in. On April 21st, the verdict came down. The judge read the verdict on the Chauvin's case, and it says guilty of second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. What was your reaction when you heard this verdict? All right, I'll start. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start. So uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, it's it's very sad to say it was a sigh of relief. Um, and uh, the reason why it's sad to say is because the expectation oftentimes is that no measure of justice will be taken when lives that look like ours tend to be targeted. Um, further, I think that I had a feeling of, I still had a feeling of fear because this was only the verdict that was rendered rendered and sentencing still has to happen. And from my estimation, as I started to really un unpack this, you can't bring, you certainly can't bring this, this, this brother back that we lost. And we may even be looking at a situation where the lesser of the law applies, even in such an egregious uh, error where you see this. And if it hadn't happened where this young lady recorded this, he would have essentially gotten off. If you look at his report, it was a, it was coded a medical incident. And I, it just makes me wonder, you know, for my three-year-old, at what point does society stop viewing him as an adorable three-year-old and he becomes a threat to someone else? And so again, it was a sigh of relief, but it also really made me think about the fact that we have to educate and protect our children in ways that maybe we would we would have thought that we would not be having to do at this point in our development as a society, but yet we find ourselves right here again. Oh. Yeah, I think it was a consensus sigh of relief on all parts. Um, I didn't watch the trial because I just couldn't, to be honest with you. Um, even when the verdict came down, I knew he was gonna be found guilty of something because the simple fact that they weren't looking for another riot. <laughs> I, I think uh, he, he had to sit, he had to sit on that sword. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where the reality is if that video wasn't there, would have got away with it. You know, there would have been no questions asked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, we got the verdict, but what, what has really changed? The system is still the system. So next shooting, if there's not, proof and even with proof we saw that that doesn't even mean anything that there's that justice will be found with obvious proof right in front of your face i mean till this day you still see people debating this and saying ah, if he just complied <laughs> you know none, none of this would happen so they're still justifying it so okay we got this one win I guess OJ, this makes two wins in a, in, in a sense. So we get a win every, what, century or, or so? But what has changed? The answer is really nothing. System is the system. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I echo uh, the sentiments of Mr. Wells and Mr. Lewis as well. Um, I know that there was a lot of anxiety 
Uh, everybody was kind of on edge, just kind of wondering what could potentially happen. Um, obviously, it could have gone either way. Um, it, we're not too far removed from the fact that this could have very well gone the other direction. Um, but I also agree with Mr. Lewis when he stated that I think that the world was not ready for another major catastrophe in a city where we are worrying about other lives now because of the riots, because of the looting, and because of the things that come as a result of that. Uh, being an educator uh, in a school, in a high school, uh, predominantly uh, African-American, uh, predominantly looking like uh, the individuals that we're speaking of, that we're going to be speaking of tonight, my concern was that how do I explain to them again how the system is unjust for people that look like them. I find myself regularly having to have conversations with them and reassuring them or trying to reassure them that everything's gonna be okay. But in reality, it's really not. Um, so what I have to do is try to explain what's happening, uh, try to keep them hopeful, but also reminding them that they must remain cautious and they must pay attention and they must understand that this does exist. This, this systemic issue that we have experienced over the past hundreds of years, it's not just last year or the year before, exists, it continues to exist, and we are very far, we're not close. We're not even close to it becoming what it should be. So we have to figure out what that looks like and what we need to do. So um, yes, I was happy about it. I was, there was relief about it. I realized that we are still far from, from, from a resolution, um, and there's a lot of work to be done, but from where I sit, I was happy personally, you know, I was happy personally that I did not have to go explain to them again what happened and why everybody is against them. So, um, well, not everybody, but why the system as it stands is against them. So I, I, I was, um, I had a sigh of relief as well. Um, Thank you. For me, I was communicating with friends around the country and I still had my doubts. I know the world, not just here in the United States, but the entire world was looking at this trial. This was international. And I still had my doubts because of historically the system backs uh, those folks in uniform when it comes to people of color, murdering people of color. And so I had my doubts. So. Uh, I was relieved and pleased to see what took place, but um, I'm gonna wait, you know, like Louis said, you know, what has changed? I wanna, let's talk about that later on. But yes, they're, they're, it's just the beginning, hopefully. Um, I don't think my sentiments are any different than uh, the rest of this group. Uh, the one thing that, that one thing that I looked at it as, as I saw people celebrating and I'm, I'm like, we shouldn't be celebrating what's right, what should be done. Um, it's like giving people bonuses for coming to work. Well, that's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. And this verdict was, it was celebrated and I understand why, because we don't get the justice that's deserved when they are wrong. Um, when we entrust these, these officers to protect us, and, and, and give them the power that they have and to see the misuse of that power. Um, it was great to see that they may had the right outcome, but it should be a normal outcome when someone does wrong. It shouldn't be celebrated that it's different than what has, uh, should be done. So um, 
I, I was happy at that point, but then I was conflicted because this is not the norm. So what's going to happen with the next one? Do they think that they gave us a, a bone per se and, and they gave us this one so the next officer gets off because they think we're going to be happy with that? So um, we have to stay on top of this. Don't, don't look at this as a win and, and rest. We need to uh, look for that verdict of, of sentencing and then see what happens if this continues to be a, a pattern or if they go back and fall into what we've seen for hundreds of years. Well, thank you, gentlemen. You, you seem to have um, similar thoughts, but that very evening when shortly after the verdict, um, this, he was a contributor on MSNBC. He works at Morgan State University and somehow I'm not remembering his name. And he was asked, he came on and he was asked about his opinion and he was talking and he was, you know, really saying some of the things that you gentlemen are saying. But one of the things that he said that really struck a chord, he said, I was in the classroom with my, and of course, you know, Morgan State is a historically black university. And I was speaking with the students and, you know, told them the verdict is coming up. And they were like, ah, he's going to get away anyway. And he said, although he didn't believe that um, Derek Chauvin was going to get away, but, you know, just to hear the students and what they had to say was very sad. And I found that very sad as well, which feeds into what you gentlemen were saying that, you know, it's not something that really, it, it's a start, it's something to celebrate, but it should not be um, that unique. So yeah. it should be an everyday thing and not something that we all sit with bated breaths waiting for it. And the, um, the impression that it has on younger African-American students, both male and female, is really, really sad. I was really, really saddened by what um, this contributor was saying on MSN. That would be Dr. David Johnson. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, and, 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 I, and I, agree, I agree with you, if I might just jump in here real quick again, since you spoke to the educational piece, it's really sad, as you stated, for us or for students to, to believe that or, or have that thought or feeling, but you have to understand the age of the student now, and we're talking about college, so you're talking about mm -hmm. 20, maybe 22, depending upon where they are in their collegiate career. Um, that's all they've seen, right? They, they, they've only experienced the negative uh, impact that the systemic racism in, in the, in the uh, law enforcement ha has brought forth. So when it happens, they become almost immune to it. It's almost like mm -hmm. the expectation is that when they go out, wherever they go, they expect to be... Uh, harassed or mistreated or questioned. Uh, they expect these things, which they shouldn't, but unfortunately for them, as I kind of stated earlier, that, that's all that they've been exposed to and that's all that they've mm -hmm. seen. So, and it's difficult for us, and I, and I don't want to speak for everyone on this panel, I, I want somebody else to jump in. It, it's difficult for us to have them think any differently because for a majority of our life, that's what we're seeing as well, right? So we haven't seen much change. We've seen sporadic 
cases or, or, or cases that are independent, like the one we've just seen where there has been justice served, um, but it's, it's too far and few in between. And it's not enough for anybody to believe that there is a change or that there is a change on the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, it's more or less, hopefully this happens just because it's right. But, but in the back of our minds, I, I think all of us here, we know or we believe that nine times out of 10, as it stands right now, um, it's not going to necessarily go in favor of doing what's right for the person uh, or the victim, rather. Yeah, I, I, I find it, I apologize, Lewis. No, go ahead. Thank no, you. Go ahead. Um, I, I find it very, uh, I find it very troubling as well. But unfortunately, again, here's another situation where I'm not surprised. Think about how this demographic digests this news and information. It's not through the conventional channel. So, you know, we would hope that they would watch CNN and MSNBC, but most of these, um, these, these young adults are processing their information from Instagram, social media. And so they have news at their fingertips literally 24 hours a day. And it's not necessarily from um, the authority on what we would want the opinion of our ethnic group to look like. And so I think a lot of these things are also by design because when you can get a people to expect these things to happen to them, you can also get them to accept it. And I think that's part of the conditioning that you have. And you see that social media is used for a lot of those things. Personally, um, this same gentleman, I think, uh, struck on some other chords around executive action as well. And while I am for the fair and equal treatment of everyone, when I see executive orders being signed day one from the White House and I support the administration and the president, but when you come out and you lobby specifically for the black and African-American vote, but the first thing you do is sign executive action protecting the lives of other Americans, but you have seen continual issues um, targeting whether, whether people want to accept it or believe it, disproportionately we are dying. And there has never been an executive order, although they have raised over 200 of them in Congress, not, not one of them has successfully passed. So on day one, you're able to sign an executive order. It passes the Congress and the Senate to protect the lives of others. Those lives just certainly deserve to be protected, but so do ours. And so I think we have to take it all the way to, uh, to Pennsylvania Ave, so. That's a good point. You were that's saying- fantastic. Yeah, that's a fantastic point, but just to get back to the previous conversation, but I'm gonna to touch on what he said, cause that's something that was burning me as well. Um, but, you know, look, the fact that our last big win was OJ and to be blunt, the black community really didn't even support OJ, but we just wanted that win. It goes to show you how far in between we have justice that we're reaching for the bottom <laughs> almost for a win. You know, I can't recall another case where police was, oh yeah, the black cop was, yeah, arrest was uh, uh, tried and convicted for shooting the, um, accidentally shooting the uh, white young lady. And I believe it was uh, Minnesota, I believe. Uh, but other than that, I can't think of one. Well, the officer in Texas who goes into the brother's apartment, you go into someone's home and you murder them and she gets 10 years. 
and she's complaining. She wants out. She wants uh, out. She's, she's not going to even do the 10 years. This is honest. She'll, she'll be out soon. I, I, I promise you this. She'll be out soon. She will not do the full 10 years. So it, it's, it's a matter of things not changing. I mean, if we look historically you know, from lynchings, uh, they got away scot-free. Right. Uh, they met Till. Right. People who murdered them until they knew they, they took them the I forgot how short a time to debate. And it probably took a few hours and they it they said it took that long only because they had to go for lunch. Right. And, yeah. and, and so it's not as if you didn't know who did it at that. And right. I think that's that's some of the psychological hardship about the community that people don't take into account. You're being abused, yet you still have to face your abuser on a daily basis. It's, think about it this way. If you just got raped, right? Yet you have to, every day you have to go see your rapist and deal with them, smile at them, and know that they're your rapist. And in fact, that everybody knows that that's your rapist and nobody cares. Think about the psychological impact that a community has to deal with knowing, knowing that, you know, and nobody ever wants to sit there and, and, and think about that. There's never any empathy, even if you don't understand what it is to be black in America, right? Where's the empathy to say the reality is I wouldn't want to be black if I wasn't a black person. There's no way, you know, you can ask a white person and it'll tell you, yeah, I wouldn't want to be black in America. So it's not like it's not known that there's a hardship, but it's just, you just don't find the empathy to say, I don't understand. I I've never walked in your shoes, but I know it's hard. And, you know, I feel for you. And, and Lewis, you make a great point because there was a study done where they, um, um, some, I can't think of the, the university, but they polled, um, you know, middle class, upper middle class, wealthy, poor, you, you, you name the economic spectrum. And the question was posed that any given time in the country's history, would you trade places with a black person in America? Would you decide to trade places? And the answer was overwhelmingly no. So I think that it is it's not a mistake to say that people don't understand. I think it's more important to start saying that you don't care. And right. I think that once we address that issue, we can start to not feel bad about fighting back in the ways that we have to, because I agree with you about the psychology of it all. It's, mm -hmm. you almost, you almost, you're just trying to get through each day because once, when this all happened, you know, uh, I'm sure you understand this. We formed a racial equity task force at my organization. Let's talk about this. Let's have these uncomfortable conversations. I watched, you know, who I think are, are very fine people. I watched them sit in tears because they told me to a person, I never knew you even thought about any of the things that we just discussed in terms of me getting stopped by the police on the way to work. Mm -hmm. Before I get to work, I have to make sure that I am doing things differently just to show up, right? And before I sit down at work, I, it's a sigh of relief that I, I made it without incident. And 
vacation. If I rent a nice vacation home, I have to make sure I pack a contract, the rental agreement. I have to make sure that I have someone on speed dial because God forbid someone sees me and my family somewhere that they don't think I belong. That could be an end of life scenario for me. Mm. And none of my constituents even have to remotely consider that just to go on vacation. So mm. the psychological trauma is most certainly there. And we're talking about a group of individuals who I think are equipped to handle it a little bit better than most. So what do our kids do except, you know, um, just, be just become what they're trained to be, if not it be for people like Mr. Ingram, who goes into the education system every day, who's very conscious of these things, because quite frankly, some, some older adults are not, because we've become so conditioned in ways to accept it as well, that this conversation would be deemed inappropriate when this is a very appropriate conversation to have for awareness. So I agree with you completely. That is a very great point about, you know, going on vacation. Um, a very great point to see how it impacts every facet of our lives. Okay, Marcus, I see you were saying something. Yeah, I, and I was kind of going to piggyback where you have Mr. Ingram and uh, Mr. Wells, as well as Lewis, and we're talking about the psychological impact and we're talking about the younger younger folks and, and, some, and, and some of us as well. Um, you could do everything right and, and it doesn't matter. And, and you still are, have negative results, whether it's in jail or, or dying. Um, so what do you do? You know, you get to the point where, what do you do? And you, you're telling, you gotta go to them and they, they're looking at you like, what do I do? I did everything right. And they still did this. So that's part of that psychological impact as well. Um, because we, we keep making adjustments because mm -hmm. they're wrong. Like, when are we going to have them make the adjustments to correct, course correct? Mm -hmm. Why do we have to course correct right? Why do we have to course correct right? That doesn't even make sense, right? We have to be writer. Like, what is that? <laughs> Why do we have to be writer than, than right? You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. And then explaining it to the kids, you know, especially these days, they're like, what, what, else, do, what else can I do? And you, we we don't have an answer for them, and, and it's 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 a shame where their laws are in place. They're just not being applied as as they should. You know, um, why do we have to have a, a law in place for us to vote? Isn't there a doesn't it say all men are supposed to be able to vote? But we have to have a separate law. So that in itself tells you that there is a problem with how we are looked at and perceived. And how things are applied to us, because if we need a separate law to exist in a place where there's laws for all men and women and 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 anybody that's um, a citizen and things of that nature, but then we have to have a separate one. That in itself tells you that we have a problem that we haven't addressed. And you know, we go and to go to the next point where they said, you know, your counterparts, they they don't know. They do know. They just don't care. It doesn't impact them. If it doesn't impact them, then it's it's not on their radar. You know, it's like the opioid crisis. You know, it's it's not a problem until it, it started affecting those that weren't black and brown. Mm -hmm. And now it's a crisis versus a crack epidemic. You know, so nobody's when, going when, to jail anymore. When, when things are perceived, mental, mental health issue. Yeah. So when things are perceived different. 
then they're going to be applied different when they shouldn't. It should be the same across the board. If you care about when it affects you or impacts your family, you should see the same care given when it impacts me and my family. I do have a little bit of faith in the future because, because these young folks, they've actually inspired me, allowed me to be a little bit bolder as well. These young folks, yeah, they're on that social media generation where it's instantaneous. Those young folks are bold. They're not as patient as we were. You know, our generation, prior generation, they were more patients looking for change and looking for a little bit of change at a time. These young folks ain't. They are bold and they want to change now and they're putting pressure on people now. And they doing it in a way that they're not shy at all. And um, I think we're going to see start seeing a lot more momentum in some changes. Um, I honestly thought with the increase of lawsuits with, with the police that there was going to be some changes from because of the financial aspect of it. I knew these insurance companies <laughs> were paying out these bonds. But that was until I found out that Wall Street created a new vehicle called uh, Police Hazard Insurance, where they actually have bonds now for <laughs> to, to help the insurance company pay out these uh, claims. And they're making a killing off of them. Wow. So now that Wall Street's involved with it, they, you're going to have to sue for much bigger numbers to not make it worth Wall Street's uh, money. But it's it's just... It's sad because on one end, you, you should be, if you are conservative, you should be looking at it as to say, this is a waste of taxpayer money, but money is being made by these lawsuits at the same time. And mm -hmm. it's just, you, you just have to wonder how much pressure is rioting going to be the only answer to really put pressure for change. Because lawsuits well, aren't working anymore. I look mean, where the money's coming from. The money's coming from you and I. We're getting killed and it's coming from you and I. Yes, the no, money it's starts coming, coming from everybody. Well, I'm talking about the citizens. When the money starts hitting those pensions and the police unions, they will make immediate change. As long as that, that money, they're not feeling the impact of those payments, what 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 does it mean? We can go on business as usual because well, the city's going to pay I mean, for us. With these new uh, police bonds, it's going to be harder and harder to really impact them. Well, you can't sue a police officer personally, and until they change the laws, that they don't really care. Right, and, and that is the that is the issue. There's no personal liability. Um, it's what is it? One percent. The officer will ever be convicted. And, and I think that's an important fact that you bring up because I actually had this debate with somebody just the other day. Um, a doctor gets sued personally. Me as an advisor, I can get sued personally. You know, most jobs, if we screw up, we're in trouble. There's accountability. Mm -hmm. You know, the only job that really you look at it, that doesn't really have accountability is law enforcement. 
at what point does law enforcement become just like the rest of us? And it's, it doesn't require, it, it's not saying all people are bad or something bad is going to happen to the police officers because 99% of the police officers are good. It's just a very small percentage. Mm-hmm. And the reality is because you know, my neighbors are police officers. I, I live in a pretty good community. My neighbors are police officers. I have good friends that are police officers. So I'm not a police hater. Right. But I've also had serious conversations with them. And, you know, they've mentioned, look, I'd like to say something, but that'll put me as an outcast. And I might find myself in a bad situation where I need backup and backup doesn't show. And I got to get home to my wife and my kids, you know. So it's, it's tough situations that they're in as far as the good ones are concerned. And the simple fact when you do step up, you get fired. We had the young lady that just won the lawsuit yeah, uh, the up. other day. She got fired for doing the right thing, for stopping a fellow police officer from basically becoming another chauvin. And she got fired for that. So it, it's, it's, it's a hard thing, but creating, you, and you, you have to create laws, making them just work just like I work. You know, if I mess up, if I screw up, I could get sued. Right. And these gentlemen are giving um, our listening audience a lot of information to think about if they haven't been thinking about it. And as you were speaking, and I was thinking about it, that we did make some steps forward with getting that conviction. We did make some progress in having the world watching a case where before it used to be done in in the quiet in a locked room where most of us would not even know that this case was going on but immediately after the verdict immediately after the verdict there was another shooting of this um teenager in columbus ohio makai bryant the very same day she called the police because she was being attacked. But when they came, they acted on what they saw. And she is like saying she called the police to kill her because, you know, she, she died right there. So if there was any, for me, there was, if there was any victory or feeling of accomplishment it was like I was pulled a number of steps backwards to further than where I started because this was happening at the same time. And my question to you, gentlemen, do you think we're going to see kind of a revenge situation going on where, yes, I do this, but I'm doing it out of a revenge because I didn't think you should have made that verdict? Think, think about it and just jump right in. <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't think that there'll necessarily be a revenge. I don't I don't think this is going to increase or decrease. I think that until we figure out what the solution is and what we decide to do as a country or as a nation uh, moving forward, it's going to continue to exist. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you you we all spoke to the fact that social media now has exposed it. I think that it's been going on for a number of years. It's just that social media makes it easier to be able to see what's happening. And in a way, I think that is kind of 
accelerated our need to become more involved because of the fact that it's out there. Because as you stated previously, a lot of it was done in, in the corner. It was done in the, in the countryside or in the, in the jails or wherever it was happening where there was, there was no evidence of it happening and it was able to be easily covered up. Um, but I wanna just jump back quickly before we do that with, with, with what uh, Mr. Stevens said and also Mr. Lewis said, and I believe actually all four of them have said where you know, we need to, to decide what we're going to do and how we are going to become more vocal and make that change. Because I believe Martin Luther King said it best some time ago where silence becomes betrayal, right? So at a point, everybody knows what's happening. You can't deny it now because it's out there. There, there, there is no more saying, I didn't know what happened. I didn't see it. You know, I can't believe this is happening because every single day or every single incident that happens for the most part is, is visible, it's easily accessible and it's there. And I think that we have to start taking some risks. So to, I understand what Mr. Lewis is saying about his neighbors and some of his police friends and some, just people in general who are afraid to lose their positions at work or afraid to, to lose whatever it is that they have. And when, and when I say lose what they have, we think about it in a materialistic sense. The only reason that people don't make decisions is because of the impact that it may necessarily have on their family and their, and their ability to be able to provide for their family or some type of violence or something that, that could potentially harm come to their family. It's about protection, right, on so many different levels. And I think what we have to do is we have to take risks. I mean, I'll be honest and say to you, I mean, that I do some unorthodox things in the high school now because I know what I have to do for my kids. And at times I know that I'm probably taking risks. And I know that I'm doing some things that some people may or may not necessarily be excited about to be able to support our kids and to be able to move them forward and put them in position to, to do better for themselves. But, but we have to do that. We can no longer just sit back and say, uh, I can't do this because of this or nah, let me think twice because this may happen this way or, or no. I mean, we have, to, we have to band together. And that's the biggest problem that we have. We're being completely honest as a group, as a people. That's the biggest problem we have as a community. We don't band together collectively as a group and make these decisions and move forward. We move in isolation. We move in silos. We only move when there's a major national event that requires us to come out. But we, things happen regularly. For example, when this case was going on, you talked about a number of things. There were laws being passed where I think it was, I don't want to say the exact same, I think it was Kentucky, where they're now saying it's illegal to be able to have police cameras uh, or use police cameras or to be able to video, not to have police cameras, to use video, video, video or film police officers while they're making these arrests. I mean, there are laws that are being happened, things that are happening while this major event is happening and we're so focused, they're signing bills and passing laws and doing all these extra things that are really going to do major harm to us as a community but we, we we can no longer be be silent i think you know back in the 60s when you know civil rights movement that's when people were the most vocal and people band together and they work collectively together and really since then we really don't have that or i don't see that and that's just me coming from where i believe or where i sit but we have to we have to make change collectively together, and this is kind of where it starts. When we have these conversations, we we, we meet, we, we have conversations, we, we open books, we read, we pay attention, we gain the knowledge necessary to make that change and have that impact. Because right now we're just reacting, we're being reactive, and we're not being proactive in how we need to make this happen. No, I would agree. I would agree with your commentary. I would. Uh, I might challenge a few points, and happy to hear your feedback on them and the rest of the panel. I um. While I agree with the vast majority of what Mr. Ingram is saying, I think that our it, one of our primary issues, because we do have several, but systemic racism was not something that we drafted and created. 
it was something that was drafted and created to create these exact same outcomes. These are predictable outcomes. That's why prisons are where they are. That's why voting lines are drawn the way that they are. Everything that happens has been a part of a strategic plan. So my question becomes, where is ours? So what are we demanding? What is our agenda? Because we're the super consumer. And so I believe things start with the economic base. You talked about people making decisions about how they provide for their families. I think that we have to try to encourage, um, and, and I'm really sincere about this, Black ecosystems where we are circulating dollars amongst each other so that people know if we pull out of these communities, they don't have support. Or you can't just come into our community and you're going to police them without us policing you. And I think those are some of the things that we definitely have to have happen because to Lewis's point, most police officers I have encounters with are, are just fine. They're pleasant. They want to go home. I want to go home. But the same way they see one uh, burly African-American man do something at any point in time on camera in their life and they can be afraid for the next 30 years, think about how many murders I've now seen and how afraid I am or how uneasy I am when I encounter you. So it has to be a two-way street and not a one-way street. So they have to reciprocate the same things they want. They, we go out and we tell these kids, if you see something, say something, right? When the adults that are protecting and serving them are not brass enough to stand up and say it's wrong, that people can kill you while you're unarmed or uh, being a nonviolent offender because of fear of retaliation, that speaks to the culture that they know exists. And I think if you did away in some forms with qualified immunity, you see a, 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 an immediate change and shift in attitude and behavior because now, as opposed to you think about getting sued, your livelihood is taken away from you because you you will do the maximum time under the law and not these, these statute of limitations because you don't see that when an 18-year-old nonviolent offender goes in, but he has some other minor charges. So it's about accountability, uh, point blank, period. And I think it, it starts with conversations like this, but then also to our state and local representatives we focus so much on the national level sometimes that we forget that there are people that we put in office right here in our area that are accountable to us. And so we should be challenging them to have these same conversations. So that's, uh, like I said, just just a slight disagreement, but I think the economic base is important. And, and just one last thing, I think that understanding this conversation, how it spawned, and it has so many layers to it when something happens to one of us, only tips the icebergs to show people that the objects in our rearview mirror are most certainly closer than they appear to be. Because the common narrative is, hey, it's been so long. It's, it hasn't been that long. Um, you, you look at your parents or your grandparents and a lot of people, uh, a, lot, a lot of women didn't even have the right to vote. I mean, I'm only 35 and my mother was born, she couldn't even vote in Selma, Alabama. I remember my grandmother having to recite, you know, parts of the Constitution or the preamble just to be able to vote. You know, mm -hmm. so you can't tell people that they have to soon forget all these things that have happened because if they were to remember, this is part of your history, is part of what's happened to you right here, right now, then to Lewis's point, maybe some of 
some of us in my generation and the generation just a, ahead of me would be mad enough to take action. They would be mad enough to make a decision, MAD, because these younger kids are going to do it, but we have to protect them. They're getting killed at alarming rates. So they need to have some structure. It has to come from us. And I think helping them understand an economic base is important. You control your economic environment. You can control many more things. You can hire your own police. You can have your own doctors. You go to your own attorneys. You go to your own grocery store. There was a time when we did that. We were much stronger as a culture and a people when we did. And I think that, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're talking about other things, but the illusion of choice has sometimes hurt our people greatly. When you have the option to, to choose if you spend money with one of us or someone else, we tend to want to appeal to popular culture and we put those dollars elsewhere when we could be building our own environments, our own communities. And so I think it starts with the economic base and being able to vote as a unit. And I think we can, uh, we can effectively see some things happen at that point. I'm a, I'm a hundred percent agreement with you uh, in the sense that if we want change, uh, I, I'm just shocked the last election, how many celebrities, this was the first time they were voted. And so as a people, if we want change, we've got to get together and get out and vote, put people who we want into office who elect the judges and all of those, the people we want. And until we get to that point, um, I don't know what our agenda is gonna be. It's gonna be scattered, uh, but if we can get together, get our thoughts together, have an agenda and an economic one to say, hey, it happened in Selma, you know, with a bus, <laughs> if you say, okay, you know, in uh, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, we had our own doctors and everything that the city was, was one of the most wealthy. And this is what created and the people who committed that genocide was never punished. So they're, the, they're folks who have an agenda. And so we need to have an agenda. And until we can get, I don't know how you do it. I don't have that answer. But until we can get together as a people and say, hey, this is important for me. This is important for my future. This is important to my kids, my grandkids. Here's what we need to do. We're never going to get the change we're looking for. And I think that's why they play us. Mr. Yeah. Davis, I think um, we've, we've been voting for a long time. <laughs> you know, every election cycle, they, they're guaranteed to come around, you know, and we'll vote. It's, it's more than just going out and voting. We need to hold people accountable. And uh, Mr. Wells brought it up earlier, and I wanted to uh, get, bring that back up. Uh, look, Joe Biden just uh, over the weekend acknowledged uh, Armenian uh, genocide. Great for the Armenian people. I'm sure they appreciate it. Uh, but there's some stuff at home field that you could acknowledge as well. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we put them in office. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We put them in office. Uh, it's he's protected and talked about everybody but us. I think it's time to start looking at Mr. Biden and saying, I don't care who you have as vice president. That's all nice and dandy and everything. That's great sugar candy, but I'm done eating sweets. And what are you going to do for us? And that's what we need to do, because you could put anybody in office. 
if they say, if they even give you a thank you and then never show again until four years later, what's the point? Right. What's the point? We got to hold them accountable. Yes, not only on a national level, but definitely on a local level, because a lot of sneaky things show up on the, on the local level that we need to be paying attention to. The judges that are putting our children in jail, we need to be paying attention and voting for them. You know, the councilmen that are telling, saying there's no budget for uh, police cameras, we need to be paying attention to all of that stuff too. Uh, our board of education <laughs> and the mess that, that happens in our school system, we need to be paying attention to all of that but we need to hold them accountable and say, I don't even care if you're black, you didn't get the job done. You, you really didn't pay attention to us, you got to go. You have to go because we've been getting played with that vote for a long time. Every cycle they show up, shake hands, take pictures with us, bring out the, you know, the latest celebrity and then they get into office and they're gone. Mm -hmm. They're gone until and the Lewis, next cycle. And Lewis, that's a great point. I think, I think one of the key takeaways for me from both your commentary as well as Mr. Davis, that's why the strategy is important because we have to, we have to be operating from a position of strength on several layers. It just can't be we're going to rely on the vote and then we hope that policy changes happen. We have to elect people that we have asked for specific policy and given instruction on. And if we don't get it to your point, we can get you out of here. Um, the, the judges, to, to Mr. Davis's point, it's another crucial element. And I think, again, having a, 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 a diverse plan, right? So getting our economy, our ecosystem together, making sure that we're developing our next group of leaders is critically important because we need replacements for the current structure that we have. And if we don't prepare them, we're only gonna to continue to perpetuate this because what we've seen over time is a shift from uh, people that want power and authority. They've kind of shifted themselves away from business and entrepreneurship on a lot of levels, especially if they don't look like us. And if you're a little bit seasoned and you've been successful in business, you make the switch into politics and now you have yourself another 20 year career where you're doing favors for those who've helped you. And you know, it's, it's just a handshake deal at the country club that we'll never be a part of. And so until we can address those things and have replacements, viable replacements, because let's be clear, we're gonna be judged on a different trajectory and scale than our counterparts always. And until that changes, I mean, things are things are going to be status quo, so to speak. And I think we have to take, uh, Ms. Davis talked about it earlier, the small victories are, they become overwhelmed or they become replaced by the next drastic thing. And I think that should be so frightening and so troubling that it is a call to action to say, just yesterday, I thought we were moving in the right direction, but you had to come and give me another reminder of exactly what can happen at any given time to people who look like me in this country. And that's that's appalling and it should be, but it should be appalling globally as well. So the same way others, we haste to the rescue of others, I have seen no nation haste to the rescue or plight of African-American black people here in the United States, but we do it consistently for other nations. We need to address what's happening right here at home. 
Um, I, I think that what put us here for this one is we were captive. It had a captive audience. We had, we were in a pandemic um, because we've had shootings and things happen since then. And we haven't seen the same uprisings and uproar um, because now we're, things are starting to, to normalize and, and we have other things to do. But when George Floyd happened, uh, his, his death happened, um, it, the, nobody was going anywhere. And so the world saw it and everything. And that made, it, made them, that forced their hand to do things that they probably wouldn't have done if we were not in the pandemic at that time. So we have to have that same energy non-pandemic that we had during that time to push every issue the same way. We can't pick and choose and, and we can't just wait for the four years like, like uh, Mr. Wells and, and Mr. Furman was saying. And, and it's not about just voting. It's not about just marching. It's not about just economics. It's a lot of things. It's po putting policies in place, mm -hmm. putting laws in place. Um, we, we have to get, you know, make sure the right laws are there. You know, we can't let laws get passed where it's illegal to give food in a line when you go to vote. You know, that's that that doesn't make sense. So if you let your, your officials pass laws like that, what what's going on? Where, where are they trying to go with this? Um, mm -hmm. We can't let these laws get passed where it's okay to run over protesters. You know, you got six states that are, are passing that law. Who is that going to impact? You know, who's going to try to take advantage of that? Um, so we have, we have to watch things like that as well, that, that are getting passed under the radar and, and will overall diminish what how we're seen and, and put us as a, well, it's okay. He was a protester. That's why he was hit. It's okay. It's mm -hmm. almost like the, I fear for my life. Um, you know, we, we have to take that away and, and, and make sure that it's real. Right, right. So guys, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a great conversation. And I really love that you guys are making a change and making a difference in our young people lives and um, in the communities where you serve and, and the different platform. And even a couple of you guys are business owners. So I really appreciate you guys making the impact and doing what you can to change our situation, change, change our environment. And once again, everyone, this is another episode of Life Chat with Businessville. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.